Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-game. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-482-0167. Again, text drummer to 833-482-0167 for your free drum lesson. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is the bantamweight UFC contender, Aljamain the Funk Master Sterling. Also, real estate investor, uh, getting ready for his fight, working out of the dog pound, coming fresh off the gym, and meeting a contractor at his house, and now knocking out an interview, <laughs> doing the damn thing, man. So what's going on, dude? How you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm excited. Um, two and a half weeks away from... The biggest fight of my life, you know, every fight's the biggest fight. And right now this is the biggest fight. And um, hopefully this is the one that gets me to the one that uh, ever so elusive title shot, you know? So I'm excited, man. Can, can be, can't ask for anything better than this, you know, besides the world opening back up. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool though, man. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was interesting when I saw, I think I texted you or I hit you up on Twitter when he was like, all right, I'm retiring. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, what's <laughs> Going on right now like is he serious and then uh i think later on at the press conference he actually was like yeah aljo deserves that shot they give it to him so i thought that was cool that he started you know because usually he's, he's kind of talking shit and not saying anything serious and the fact that he said that you deserve that i thought was really cool because i mean across the board i think even Cruz, like most of the guys that you hear doing interviews are, are saying that you deserve that shot now yeah and it's, it's good to hear good to see that um my work is not going unnoticed amongst my fellow peers in the Vanway division um, and it was nice to hear that from Henry. Henry, I think he knows and recognizes that the Bantamweight division is full of sharks at this point. And anyone in the top 10, even the top 15 are killers. Um, I think anybody could be a champion on any given day. Um, just how just, it just speaks volumes about the depth of the division. And for me to get the, the nod on that and um, him saying, like, let these guys kill each other because he knows, like, we're coming for him, you know, so. If he doesn't get out now, he knows that he's got a long list of guys that he's going to have his hands full with. So uh, it's a good time to be a Bantamweight, and I'm just excited, man. You know, all the work's coming together. And finally, long layoff with this injury, and I just can't wait to get back out there and mix it up again. Yeah, dude, I, I think it's awesome. I don't know if I told you this, but I was in a – I don't know, maybe a year ago, maybe a little bit less, but I remember when you were calling for a shot and Dominic Cruz said something like, Aljamain who? Or something like that, like trying to act like he didn't know who you were. And I think like two weeks before that, I was out 
man, maybe for the one, one of Weidman's or Al's fight. I was somewhere, and I went for a run, and he was running next to me at the hotel gym. And then we wound up, like, leaving, and we were in the elevator together. And I think I had your shirt on or, like, a, some, some, one of our guys' shirts on. And he was like, oh, Longo. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, Aljamain's looking really good. I was like, yeah, it's my dude. He's looking good. He's like, yeah, good luck tomorrow, whatever. And then, like, the next day, he was like, Aljamain, who? I was like, talking about the elevator yesterday. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's funny, man. Dominic's got a very interesting persona. I think he could be a little – it's one thing if you're putting on a show, but I think that's really how he is just in person. But um, I could be wrong. He could be a great guy, but he just doesn't seem like my type of guy to want to have a beer with at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because I do see that um, a lot of the guys have big personalities. Some of them are trying to do the Conor McGregor thing. Some of them are trying to do the Chael Sonnen thing. Some of them are, you know, putting on their characters, which I get. But um, I, I like the way you guys have done it because you, you, you're really fun. On social media, you do a lot. I was just watching your uh, your weekly breakdown with Wyman and doing the voiceover, making the faces and stuff. And uh, <laughs> I feel like you have a way you're able to give a fresh take, and you you really go at the people too, kind of go at you. But but you come off very sincere and genuine, which I think people like. Where I think that's where some of the the criticism from the Colbys and the guys like that when they do their shtick, but you can just kind of tell it's awkward because it's not really who they are or it feels a little bit forced, all yeah. your stuff feels very natural, which I think is why people definitely, you know, like your roof. You just, I mean, same like Rage and Al. I mean, they, he, you, you, what you see is what you get, you know, like that's exactly who he is on Twitter or in person. And uh, I feel like that's most of the, the guys that train under Matt and Ray. There's not really any weird WOF type shit, which, uh, which I think is really cool. But, hey, you did a good job of that, man. I think you got a great personality, and I think that stuff's going to translate really well over to you as you start to become a bigger and bigger star. No, nah, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I did think at one point to kind of develop like a whole different persona and kind of go off on like a, a little gimmick, but it's really hard to keep that type of act like 24 seven when the lights are on or where fans are present, you know, that type of thing. But um, kudos to the guys who could do that, man. Cause that's very mentally taxing and I'm okay with just being me. I think me being myself is a good enough personality. I think um, I'm naturally, willing and okay with talking with people and stuff like that so that's never been a hard thing for me you know and um just good thing it just worked out with the, with the mma as well like just having that background was an easily transferable thing to just pick it up and um and i don't i don't mind sharing i guess personal things or cer a certain side of me that some people are kind of more reluctant to doing and i think that's the part of that's the part of it that people kind of miss out on is when you get to this point of the game or even when you get to any type of game and being a, uh, an entertainer, technically I'm an entertainer. Yeah, I'm a professional fighter, but at the same time, I'm also an entertainer. People pay hard earned money to come watch us perform. And with that, you kind of got to give a little something. I know some people say, well, I like the time where you could just fight with your hands and let your, your performance do the talking. I'm like, yeah, that's cool and all, but why do you think people love the WWE so much? Because that <laughs> bigger than life persona or, that bad guy role or the good guy role that you just gravitated towards and something that you liked about them. And uh, that's what made it interesting. That's what made it fun. If everyone was just the same, we just fought and walked out the octagon, don't say anything, thanks for coming. It, it would kind of be like, uh, well, who really cares? I don't know. So that's, that's at least my thoughts on it. But um, I'm just glad I could just be myself, have fun with it. And people need to know, like, if you talk shit to me, man, I'm going to talk shit back. If I got time, you know, if I'm on my phone, I'm like, you know what? I feel like responding today. I'm going to respond today. Sometimes I read stuff and I'm just like, ah, 
whatever. I'm just going to let this one go. But next time, <laughs> next time I will get you. <laughs> well, I think again, like, like you said, it, it shows. Cause I, you know, I've been in fights before. I remember we were somewhere and I was with my brother and a couple other guys and a whole section. It almost looked like a fight broke out in the stands. And we're yep. like, what's going on over there? And they were like, Aljo's dancing and everybody's like around him cheering it on. And then when I watched like the replay, they like stopped and they showed you. So you could tell like that you, you like to have fun. Like you like the Paul always dancing and joking and you know, your, your social media stuff's funny. So I feel like that almost became your, your thing. Like you didn't have to come up with a personality because you have one. I think, you know, sometimes guys like don't really have one. So they got to come up with something. So yeah, um, but you, did, you did say something that I think is interesting. So I was talking to Al a little bit about this a while back, but I know you, it's, it's got to be really hard to be in, this, in the spotlight so much with the age of social media and with everything you do, no matter what you post, no matter what you say, there's somebody who's going to say something stupid or negative or whatever. And you're, you're a pretty positive guy. So, I mean, I know from my side, I'm, I'm still trying to learn how, you know, 30 people can say, oh, you know, you just did a great job with this. But if one person's like, that sucked, that you're an idiot, like it, it bothers me all day. And I'm like, what do I do? do? Do I respond? Do I block the guys? You can like, you know, so I can't imagine it on your level when I see it all the time. Like you're not going after anybody. You're just trying to share some stuff. So, you know, there's definitely times that I see you embrace the positive, but there's also times that I see you go hard at the negative. So how, how do you keep that from really affecting you or, or, or changing your mood or, or bringing you down? And how do you, I mean, what do you do? Like, is the, is the choice to ignore it or does it satisfy you sometimes to embrace it? Oh, so sometimes it's very, very satisfying to, to kind of stick it back to someone because sometimes people can't <laughs> take, you know, they can dish it, but they can't take it. You know, it's one of those type of things you can't stand the heat, get out the kitchen. And I don't think people, I think some people don't realize that that's really my personality. It's not, you're not hurting my feelings. I think some people think that they're hurting my feelings. I think you put in perspective, it's just words and words do have consequences. That's how we grew up, right? That was our error. But now the age of social media, you can say stuff and hide behind a camera screen, uh, a computer screen, your phone, and no one can ever know who you are. You got a uh, ridiculous looking picture for your profile <laughs> picture not posting who they are because they're so insecure about themselves. And, um, you know, we fight on an international level. We get judged. And I think once you can put everything into perspective, like, okay, they don't know me. They only see bits and glimpses. And obviously, if they know who I am, they're going out of the way. They're somewhat of a fan. And, you know, you're not going out of your way to go hate on somebody just to hate on somebody. And if you are, you're probably a loser and probably doing way worse than I'm doing in life. So, we factor all those things in and um, it's, it sucks to use harsh words like that, but it, it is the truth. You know, um, I think at the end of the day, these people don't know you when you remember that. I think that's the hard part. People have to remember that they don't actually know you, you know? So if you let someone's words who, who you don't know affect you that much, I think that's the negative part. And um, maybe you need to do a little bit of self-reflection on yourself and realize that you are good enough or more than enough. And I think once you realize that, it's, it gets a little bit easier to be like, you can just let it just roll off your back and it's not the end of the world. And I think that's the, that's the tough part is like, you should be able to take criticism without crying about it, you know? And if someone has something not so nice to say, it's like you go to work and your job, your, your boss tells you, hey, you're doing a really shitty job today. Um, are you going to be upset and like down for the entire day? You could be like, okay, maybe I'm doing a shitty job and how can I fix this? And you're not going to let that get you down or... I mean, it might get you down. It might, right? It might. But I think it's how you, how you take that and you flip it. You always look at things. I always look at things glass half full. 
you know, so if someone says I suck, I'm like, okay, well, show me your fights and show me how to do better. <laughs> oh, well, your boxing is unorthodox. Okay, so show me, show me how it's done, coach. You know, so I say stuff like, well, if you got something to say, show me how to do it better. I'm not going to get upset about it. I'm like, if you can't show me, then that's my checkmate. It's like, well, you, obviously, you really, your, your, your words hold no weight. So that's pretty much how I look at things. And, um, again, man, you just got to be positive about everything. Not everyone lives in a perfect world. And uh, some people, they think they do. And when they go outside of that, then they get crushed once they get one negative comment. And uh, I think you got to be able to have a little bit of a both in terms of balance. Otherwise, you never understand how cold the world can really be. And when, once you come up from that, I think it makes it a little bit easier to be like, well, I've dealt with worse. I've handled worse. And um, there's good. There's going to be people who like me. There's going to be people who hate me. And uh, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's as long as people care, I think, um, especially for entertainers. As long as people care and they're talking about you, um, hopefully it's more good than bad. If it's overwhelmingly bad, then maybe there's something you need to fix. But um, that's life, man. You got to live with me. You got to do things that make you happy, not live for other people. I think I remember James Krause talking about this with you on the podcast as well. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. It's like, yo, these people, you're never going to see them. If they do see you, they're never going to say it to your face. And if they do, good luck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good luck to them, you know? Um, cause then we're playing by different rules, you know? And even then it's like, if, if you said something, I think that's, that's the other thing I want to say, like with my social media, since I'm so outgoing and I post so much, a lot of the times people think that they really do know me because of what I post on social media. And I'm like, you got to kind of almost remind them like, Hey man, you got to kind of like, give me a little space and realize like, <laughs> Hey, this is social media. This is not real life. You don't actually physically know me as an individual on, a, on that type of level. So there's got to be a little bit of a respect factor. And um, if you cross that line, man, then at that point, you know, sometimes things need to get dealt with the way they need to get dealt with. Yep. Yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming most people don't have that same reaction in person that they did over the computer for sure. So this is, uh, oh, I was just joking. No, I was just <laughs> trying to get a response. I'm like, you could have said anything you wanted and I probably would have responded. That's just me. Most other people, they don't. And they're like, oh, you're the one fighter who actually takes time out to respond to fans. I think it's kind of shitty that other fighters don't do that. I think it's kind of shitty that other athletes don't do that as well. At the end of the day, we're all people, man. You know, words can cut. Words can, you know, bring you up. Um, we all cry. We all bleed. We all laugh. We all smile at the end of the day. So it's, um, you know, I put my pants on the same way everybody else puts their pants on. So, I, you know, I don't really get, I don't put myself on a, platform to to think i'm better than anybody and it's a shame that if anyone does reach to that level of stardom that they start acting like that it's a little weird um i think it's weird when people start treating me differently because in my head i'm just the same old me you know you know same al <laughs> same al <laughs> No, you know, uh, one of my friends always said, no, nobody ever, nobody who's doing better than you will ever criticize you. Ever. And that's what I was trying to think about is like anybody who's, you know, that it's an internal thing when they're, that they're projecting on you. But it was funny because I actually never thought about what you just said about how people act differently towards you. And so Weidman actually said something about how he came back and like he was like the same guy, but people were like all of a sudden were like acting weird around them. And I was thinking about it then I'm like, well, like we hung around the gym for like two and a half months, like cheered him on, trained with him, watched him go out there to fight. And then he went out there and you're like, I hope he wins. That was the whole point. And then he won and he comes back and you're like, well, now it's different. It's like, but wasn't that the whole thing? Like that was what was supposed to happen. So why are people acting weird now that, that, you know what I mean? Like nothing changed. Like you just went out and achieved the goal. And um, 
Yeah. Man, I, I think pe- people do weird stuff, but at the end of the day, man, I, I'm a big believer that I always try and think about, like, if, if somebody's going to look back and tell the story, are they going to want to remember me as somebody who helped support them or, or shit talk them or was like so easy to, to just go that route. And I'd rather somebody just go back and, and remember because I would want that, you know what I mean? Like I want to put that same positivity out and encourage somebody that did the same for me because there was a lot of people when I started getting into real estate or even when I was trying to do the golden gloves, man, even guys we were training with that were like, you're going to get your ass kicked, don't do it. Like all kinds of stuff. But I remember way more of the guys that were like you, dude, you were helping me train. Like I'll always remember that, like waking up and you're bringing your boys down. Like that stuff, that goes a long way when it's like, you know, people step up and help you and, and you kind of forget about that other thing. So I agree, man. And I think the MMA and the, the, the UFC athletes in general, it's really awesome the way that they interact with the fans. And when you go to these fights live, the way that they're just walking around, like you don't get to go to a, like the MLB or, or, or like a football game and just walk around the stadium and meet all these other professional athletes that'll take pictures and have drinks with you and eat food with you. But I mean, you go to a lot of UFC and I mean, you literally walk by a section and it's you and Al and like a bunch of guys just hanging out, taking pictures. And even on Instagram, man, like I didn't know Kraus, I just hit him up and he just hit me right back and we did a podcast and like that stuff happens all the time. And I've reached out to a lot of people for guests and really the, the MMA guys and the jujitsu guys are the only ones that are like, yeah, let's do it. Like it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. I think we're just so used to being so easily accessible and um, it's such a humbling sport. I think that's really what it is. Is like you, li- you literally wear your heart on the sleeve in front of the entire world to judge you. And um, I think that's the difference between us and the other athletes. It's uh, you know, they can kind of go back in the locker rooms and just, you know, their, their mansions and everything. They obviously get paid a lot more money than we do. But I think we look at it differently. Like the fans pay their hard-earned money, yeah, for us and for other sports. But I'm, I'm not sure what the difference is. I think maybe the, the difference between losing and winning is so individualized. We appreciate it more than the team sport aspect where it's more of the team effort. Um you know, I, I don't, I'm not saying like, like the LeBrons, the, the Steph Curry's, the, the Harden, the James Harden's, those, those guys, Russell Westbrook, I'm pretty sure those guys are all great with their fans, but um, it's probably super overwhelming when they get to that level of start, stardom for them to consistently respond back to everybody on like a social media standpoint. And even for me, it's getting to the point where it's like, yeah, I'm getting, 30 new messages a day. I'm just like, it's almost to the point where it's, I'm like, yo, this is not physically possible for, or good for my own mental health and physical being to sit here and trying to respond to everybody every single day. So there's gotta be a balance. I think you could kind of maybe designate an hour once a week or something like that to kind of show some love back to your fans that support you and appreciate you. Uh, Cause at the end of the day, they're the ones that, you know, they pay the bills, man. And, um, I know some people stream stuff. So I know there's many sides of the coin. So not everyone's paying their, their money to, to watch you fight and stuff like that. But these are the guys that we're, we're you know, the guys and girls that we're doing it for. So I, I don't know. I think um, when you get, when you can lose in front of the entire world for everyone to see, I think it's a little bit easier to be more humane and relatable as opposed to feeling like a, a bigger than life persona, you know? I, I, yeah. I don't know. I think it's just, we're just, it's just, just a different sport. We're diff- We're just different. We're built different. Yeah. I agree for, for the better a hundred percent, but you know, like what you said, I think you doing things like the podcast is a great way. Like, you know, on, on the real estate side, I know a lot of guys will do that because 
it's that same thing where they're like, yeah, I can't, I literally can't answer all these questions and just uh, my whole day would be talking to people about this stuff. But if I make a platform like once a week for an hour, like this is how I interact with my fans. This is how I give back. So your podcast, scrap every week you're, you're on there, you're talking fights, you're doing your thing. So I think that's another really cool thing that you do that people can get to know you a little bit better or, you know, you can address their questions or they get to hear your thoughts of breaking down the fight, which I think you do excellent. Dude. You're definitely, you have a knack for that. Some guys are able to, to do that, but man, I would love to see you just sitting cage side, knocking out those fights of the UFC at some point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, man, it's, it's definitely a big help doing the podcast. And um, I think it's definitely helped me a lot on the analytical side of being able to break down fights and, just really analyzing everything down to a T, especially when I'm going to be talking about the fight in a couple of days or the next day, whatever it is that I do decide to record. And um, I, I think it's made me a better coach because I also teach at the gym as well, you know, and I'm doing that for free. You know, I'm not getting a, a single dollar for that, you know, so it's, um, it's rewarding. Like I said, I just think we're built different. You know, I'm not asking for any handouts and I just like giving back and, the sport that gave me so much, just like wrestling, I just like giving back. That's really it. Yeah, so I, I definitely want to dig into a little bit of your background on it because I know I saw a lot of like your 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 feet in the street stuff you were doing and you were going back and doing coaching at uh, I think it was Uniondale. And, um, you know, you're always doing a, a lot of stuff. You're very involved with the communities. And I know for a while I've heard Longo say on, on multiple shows about how good you are with the coaching and, and all that stuff. So – um, being a teacher, and I think uh, you're coaching wrestling, you're coaching MMA now over at uh, Law MMA, Garden City. Um, but talk a little bit about, you know, growing up, obviously you started as a wrestler, but what attracted you to that, t- that sport or combat sports in general? And how did you transition into MMA and get where you are today? Uh, well, I mean, I played a lot of sports growing up, but I never played, I didn't play too many of them organized. You know, I, I, went to, I was in PAL. We, my dad used to take us to the park. Uh, to go hang out with his friends and we just drop us off. We hang out with the kids and um, we play a lot of pickup soccer, uh, pickup baseball. Um, we played everything, you know? So I always thought I was going to be in the NBA. That was like my, my biggest thing. I was like, if not the NBA, I'm going to get to the NFL. I'm, I'm going to be really tall. Cause the doctor always told me I was going to be tall <laughs> and uh, that ended up not working out. But um, yeah, so basketball didn't really work out. I played organized and, elementary school. Then I got to the middle school. I grew up in Roosevelt. Then when I transferred schools, moved to Uniondale, seventh and eighth grade in middle school. I, I, I tried out for the basketball team um, as an eighth grader and I played volleyball, ran, uh, ran track. I played football and I played basketball, but I was more so basketball is just kind of like the backup guy, you know, and still, tiny kid. Eventually, I found wrestling. Got cut from the basketball team in ninth grade. I didn't. I, in tenth grade, I didn't try out in ninth grade. I didn't play any sports. I just played pickup basketball at the school every, almost every single day religiously, and um, thinking that was going to be the way to get me better. Not going to any like PAL leagues or anything because we didn't have money to do that type of stuff. And if I did ask, my dad would have said he didn't have the money. So, um, finally came back, tried out, made the first day of cuts. And the second day I got cut, the, the, the wrestling coach who's been trying to get me out since ninth grade finally convinced me to try out. He's like, you're never going to be nothing bigger than five foot five, soaking wet, 120 pounds. He's like, just come try out the wrestling team. And if you don't like it, then you don't have to do it. And you never hear from me again about it. And I was like, all right, came down, fell in love with it. First day of practice, fell in love with the sport. And um, 
it, it changed my life, man. It was like, yo, this is, this is what I felt like I was meant to do. Combat, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, nobody else to blame. I couldn't say they didn't pass me the ball. That's why I didn't get to shine at the tryouts, you know, and um, competing against another person your size, your weight. And I was pretty strong for my size. Always one of the stronger kids for my, my size, my weight class. And uh, did good with that. Made to counties my first years. As a sophomore, first year of wrestling, just picked it up really quick. Junior year, I was a three seed. Uh, I think the third or the fourth seed, I didn't place. And um, I choked, lost in the first round, choked, cried my heart out. <laughs> sophomore, senior year, I come back. And I put in a crazy offseason again. And uh, this time I take second in the county, losing to the kid that I beat the week before at the qualifiers to go to States. And uh, so he gets to go to States. I took second and I didn't get the wild card. I got, I was one shy of the wild card to go to States. And that was my dream, man. You know, I, I was a terrible student and um, it wasn't that I was terrible and like dumb. I just never applied myself, cut class. And then when I realized I needed to pass the NCAA clearinghouse, I was like, shit. So I started getting my grades up my junior year, but it was a little too late. And um, I was just hoping I could get looks from some type of junior college or something with the with wrestling, going to states, and maybe becoming a state champ because I was ranked in the state at the time. Because I beat that kid twice during the year, and he was a returning county placer. He was like the big gun, and I beat, took him out. And uh, yeah, long story short, I go to college. I end up going D three because I didn't get to the clearinghouse. I didn't have money to go D one, and I thought about all these things. I was like, I got to go where I could afford FAFSA, and I went to SUNY Mooresville. Met John Jones. Uh, I wrestled there, set the school record, 30, 34 wins, uh, 35 wins and 14 losses. And then um, from there, I transferred over to SUNY Cortland. And John Jones was training down the block. He dropped out of school because I guess he had got his, his fiance knocked up. And uh, he's training down the block. I messaged him on MySpace. He's like, yo, dude, like, this stuff looks fun. I've been watching it on TV. And I always felt like I would be good at this. And you're killing it. You know, I love the opportunity. And uh, I was one of those guys who, you know, who messaged myself now. Like, I get the, all those messages all the time. And I'm just like, a lot of the people, you could, you look through their page and their stuff, and it's like it's not serious whatsoever. But my page, you see that all I was doing was wrestling and training. That, that was really it. So then he gave me a shot. He was like, yeah, come down. He was like, you ain't going to show up. I showed up, and the rest was history. So, I mean, long journey. You know, 8-0, got to the UFC. And then uh, here I am today, you know, I put in the work and uh, I'm a true believer. You can um, shape your future. You get to decide how you shape your future by the work that you put in. I love that. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but I, I quote you almost every single training I ever did. I tell, uh, I'll go, yeah, my buddy's got a shirt. It's what you do when no one's watching. What I love do? that shirt, man. I, and I, I always think about that, you know, when everybody's looking to going, oh, look, you know, Aljo's a contender must be nice. He gets to just go do the, it's like, no, no, no. You have no idea the stuff you didn't see. You're only seeing the highlights on social media. And, <laughs> and that's the thing where, like, I get defensive of you guys because I know how much time and stuff you guys put in for a lifetime to be able to get to do those things. And most people, when they start there and, the, and they say those exact things like, oh, I, you know, I've been in 100 street fights. I'm going to come down to Ray Longo's and get in the UFC. And then, you know, a weekend they're like, oh, this is actually hard work. I'm going to go do something else. And when things get hard, most people don't want to put in the hard work to get to their goals. They want to just go find something else that's easier. And, you know, I know you put that time in and that shirt, I think really just sums up success. It's, it's, you know, nobody had to wake you up at five o'clock and tell you don't eat that cupcake. You know, you have a title fight coming up while everybody else.
watching Tiger King and getting fat. You're posting videos every single day, busting your ass and raging Al's garage, training and, you know, doing the things you need to do. And, you know, I think that's what it takes to be a champion. Like you earn that by doing those things. So I just, I, I always love that shirt. I always love that saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that, that shirt. I uh, actually made two of them and yeah, I think the first one was purple and the second one I made was the lime green. And uh, yes, yeah, the, the difference is what I do when no one is watching. And uh, I truly do believe in that, man. I think that's what separates everybody. Like, we all got the same 24 hours in a day. And what you do with your 24 hours can be completely different than mine. And I do believe people need sleep because I know people always ask me, how much do I sleep? You know, my brain is always racing, at night, even at night. Like, I, I have a hard time sleeping at night. It's, it's the most frustrating thing. I had somebody on Twitter tell me it's vitamin D. I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Vitamin D. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, and it's uh, very fascinating. Even if I go to bed early, I wake up five, six o'clock, and just my brain is just like, yo, time to go. Like, I don't know if it's just I don't need that much sleep, but I know I need more sleep. I, I know I have a little bit of a sleep apnea. Um, so, I, in terms of snoring, I snore pretty bad for a guy who's <laughs> in phenomenal shape. It's, it's, I'm not always in phenomenal shape. It's when I'm in fight camp, you know? Like, even right now, I shouldn't be having trouble sleeping, but I, I really do. It could be just the stress of thinking about the fight all the time and the outcomes. And then you're just kind of visualizing the fight 24 seven, but yeah, just going back to that. I think um, the difference man is really what, what I do compared to other people. And uh, I think we're all talented. We all got two hands, two legs, you know, a head on our shoulders is how we make them work. You know, um, some people take full advantage of it. Some end of the day, some people are still on the, on the couch and watch TV all day during a quarantine. I'm like, this is the time to be learning how to do other skills, learning how to do some, maybe some cover art, graphic arts, maybe video editing. Um, I was telling my sisters, I was like, get your real estate license. And I, I listed out a whole bunch of different things that they could learn, learning how to braid hair, um, uh, learning how to garden, uh, just a, a ton of different stuff. I'm like, yo, there's so many opportunities out there for you guys. You guys could be studying finance, uh, learning about these things, educating yourself on the stock market so that you have a little bit of a jump because these are things you don't get taught in the schooling system in this country. And um, even for myself, I've been a victim of that, not taking, capitalizing on my time. But as I got older and I matured and I got into wrestling and I, you know, I want to get good at things, I started realizing like to achieve your goals, you really have to put in more time than the, the millions of other people that are out there if you want to get above and stand out in that pact of others, you know, and I think that's what helped me get to where I am today. And it's not always about just working hard just to work hard. You got to work smart. You got to do the homework. You got to understand what works. You got to have the help and you got to have the right people around you. Um, it's not just a, yeah, I just went hard the entire day, ran my body into the ground and, and that's it. You got to make sure those hours are counting towards the goal not just wasted hours, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, you know, it's definitely the time to learn new skills. You know, I, the, the amount of things I've done during this quarantine, like, you know, waking up earlier than ever, going to bed later than ever. And I, I think it's, it's almost renaissance when you get out and there's going to be a very clear line of, it's going to show what people did during the downtime when it's over. Of, of, did you sit on the couch and watch Tiger King? Or did you, did you grow your mind or your body or, or all that stuff? Because I think it, it, all, it all makes sense. And, and like you said, with having the people around you, um, I did. I don't think I've ever heard how you wound up. I think it came through Weidman, but finding uh, Matt Serra and Ray Longo, who, you know, obviously two, two of my favorite people. And you and I actually got 
our black belts from Matt Serra on the same day, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is crazy because that rank is the same, but it is not competitive at all when we roll. <laughs> I get I get tuned up by the funk master, but uh, but that, that was a great time and a great memory, man. And um, so how did you wind up finding them from? I know obviously you were from here, then you went up, you met Jones, and then uh, I remember when you first started coming down because I think one of the first days, one of the first days I met you, we were doing like a morning roll, and I think you jumped on and started rolling with Brunetti. And like the bell rang and then the round was over and he just had this look of like, like, what the hell? I don't think he expected like, like what he got in that role. And he was looking at me like, man. And then, uh, I think you rolled with Sean Cooper after that. And Sean was like, dude, I rolled with that new guy. Aljo. He's like, dude, he fucked me up. <laughs> he's like, and then Matt was just like, yo, how'd that go? And Sean was like, not well. And he's like, oh, it's cool. Don't worry about it. That guy's going to be in the UFC one day. And he was like, all right, I feel a little bit better about getting tuned up. Oh, uh, that's, that's, that's hilarious. I didn't know that. I didn't, know that. <laughs> I didn't know Matt said that. Yeah, I, I, I got in through Weidman, and um, he was at my ring of combat fight for one of his guys, for, for Ally Quinta, actually. And um, it's actually a funny story because I remember being in the back room. I knew Al from wrestling, but I didn't know him personally. And then uh, I knew he took second in the county as well, the same thing I did. So I was like, man, we kind of got a similar career, like wrestling. We came up short, being like the, the big gun in our counties and then whatever. And um, – I was in the back room. I was freezing so cold and it wasn't cold. It wasn't that cold. I'm just so skinny and I have like no <laughs> body fat on me. So I'm freezing. I can feel everything. Once the temperature drops even a little bit, I'm just always cold and I'm shivering the entire time in the back room. And then Al comes over and he's just like, yo, bro, like, do you, you want to borrow my, my, my hoodie? Cause they saw me just sh shivering in the back. Like, yo, what is going on? I'm trying to warm up and I'm just freezing, freezing my ass off. So he gave me a sweater. It was a little weird. I knew him, but I didn't know him because I was from upstate, but I'm from Long Island. I know, I know he knows who I am through wrestling. I know who he is through wrestling. And uh, he gave me the sweater. I borrowed it, wore it, and it helped out a ton. I ended up winning the fight. It was a, the worst fight ever. Split decision, <laughs> straight up grappling fest. And we just hugged each other for 15 minutes. It was, the, everyone was like, if you wanted to go on a date, you should take him to, you should have taken him to Red Lobster or something like that. <laughs> I can hear this. During my fight, you know, it's crazy. That's how, yeah, it was not a good fight, but um, thank God I got the W. And that's when Al had that crazy fight with that Brazilian guy, the first one, the one where they went to war, man. It was just a banger for the title. And uh, after the fight, I saw Chris in the, in the lobby. It's like, dude, hey, 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 Algerman, what, what are you doing all the way upstate? Aren't you a Long Island guy? I'm like, yeah, Chris, I'm actually yeah, a Long Island guy, but, you know, I'm upstate finishing school. It's like, oh, uh, why, why are you all the way up there? It's like, I just got to finish up college, and then I plan on coming back home. Because I already knew the gym was kind of falling apart upstate. It was going more towards um, the public side, and they weren't bringing in any more coaches or anyone for us to work with, and a lot of guys were leaving. And I was, I kind of saw, like, the kind of – I can see into the future, like, yo, this is – I this is my time to get out. It couldn't have been any better than me finishing college and getting the hell out of here. And uh, I was like, yo – I'll definitely hit you up when I get out. Sure enough, as soon as I left and I graduated, I reached out and uh, it took him a while to respond to me, but uh, on Facebook, and he told me to come back down, come down, check it out. I did my tour, I checked out Belmore Kickboxing, I checked out Long Island MMA, and then I found uh, Ray Longo. And I didn't even meet Matt yet. It was just Al, Ray, and I remember hanging out and just seeing the camaraderie between everybody. I was like, yo, this is like my group of people. Everybody else was cool. Um, Belmore kickboxing was cool, but the structure of everything, I didn't see like the grappling aspect because everyone seemed to just be trained. Cause I, I asked him about that. Like, where does everyone do the grappling? 
and it was kind of like here well we kind of go here and some of us i was like eh, it doesn't seem like you guys are like together on this in one one page and you know some of them make it work and then uh long island may i loved it but it was just so far and it, they, you know the guys were younger Lafleur was still competing chris wade dennis bermudez so it was cool there was some bodies for me to work with around my size and then i don't know the the i didn't have money you know i was coming from college didn't have money i just coming off of a surgery and um came down to law man and it was right there it's literally five minutes from the house i'm like yo this couldn't have been the better any better of a setup than this and uh sure enough i stayed there ray never paid attention to me always walked <laughs> past me i was doing my my pt every day religiously doing pt for my shoulder and um I remember one time he just start finally said something. He's like, it's like, wow, I got to hand it to you. You know, I've never seen someone so committed to, to doing their therapy like this. And I was like, yo, I'm serious, man. When I get back, it's going to be a problem. And uh, I remember him saying that a couple of times. Eventually we got the fight. I got back and uh, he cornered me for the first time. And I wasn't going to match though. I didn't go to match at all for that fight, my return fight. And after he spoke to Matt, I guess he gave him like the okay that I'm good on that side so that I could come down to there. I was so excited to go down. I was like, oh, I've been waiting for this. I could not wait to get over there. And it was amazing, man. I remember my first first rolling with everybody. And um, I was like, I know I'm the new guy. I know I don't have much jujitsu skills, but I can wrestle my ass off and I don't quit. And I bring a furious pace. And that's all I needed. Nah, you did good, man. I, I mean, I... I can't say enough good things about Matt and Ray. I just, I, I love the gym. I love the guys we train with there. I mean, I, I can hang out all there all day when I'm home, but I remember, uh, I think after a couple of roles we had, I was like, I felt like I should have done well. And then I just didn't like, I thought I, I had you in something. And then the next thing I realized that I was actually in something and I turned around and Franco was like, what's the matter? I was like, dude, I, I don't know what to do with him. He's like, he's the funk master. You, you just don't know. That's why they call him that. And I was like, all right, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Cause you just have that funky style. Like you roll a lot different. And I think that's going to be a really interesting thing when um, I really, cause you know, obviously I roll with a lot of people, but your style is very different. And unless you're, you've trained with you, I don't think most of those guys, when they lock up with you have a training partner to mimic that. And it's, it's a lot of trouble to deal with. And I, I mean, I think it's going to give you a huge advantage in all your fights in the UFC because I just – I don't think you're an easy guy to train for because I don't think you can prepare for that style of grappling that you have. It's really tricky. It's really funky, and it's really effective. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. It's uh, definitely a unique style sometimes. Like, even now, I think I, I have a better grasp on what I'm doing in comparison to before when I first started. It was just kind of like wild style, but I would fall into stuff, fall into chokes. I think now that I'm a little bit more structured, I've been tailoring my style more towards control, like control with vicious ground and pound. And I think um, that's kind of made it a little bit easier to figure out what I'm doing before where I was just rolling and I was just looking to snatch something up, jump on your back. And I mean, I still get to people's back, but I think the, the method has changed a little bit. And um, I think once things get crazy, man, I think that's the advantage that I have, the scrambling ability and just being able to kind of lead the path of destruction to, to where I want people to go. And uh, I'm just excited about it, man. I love jujitsu. I love wrestling. And people who don't understand it's because they either don't get it and there's not, they're not good at it, or they're just afraid that another person could manipulate their body like that and make them say uncle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. The, uh, and, that, and that's one thing I think people don't realize is on your level, the, the level that those guys are, when people are criticizing that, that's literally the best in the world and this much 
on any given night can make a difference. And what, what even bad ranked UFC fighter could do to the average guy and what the, you know, it's just that food chain I just think is nuts. And I, I think people are finally starting to realize that like one of my buddies, Billy, really tough guy from Baldwin. And one day he was just sitting there and he was like, man, he's like, I know Chris Weidman can kick my ass. He's like, I know it. I just, I can't picture it. I'm like, well, that's the thing. Like, and then you, you do something and you get wrapped up and you're like, all right, no, 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 I got it now. But most people have never encountered that. Like Rogan talks about it all the time. Like, you know, and then you, you get drunk and you start a fight with Matt Sarah one night at a Vegas casino and you wind up on your back on like a viral video, you know? And it's like, oh, all right, it's not as easy as it looks. But Mounted. Yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's crazy, man. Wait, Which, is so that you, you really badass? No, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> different, different Billy. My, my buddy Billy Schwanner from high school is a good guy. Good guy. But so you, you grew up in a really big family. Was it like, like 15, 16 brothers and sisters? I have 20 siblings that I know of. Oh. know of there might be an extra one or two somewhere out there that i don't know of but as far as i know there's definitely 20 of us 20 that i know yeah it's a lot it's it's been a very interesting chaotic lifestyle and uh obviously my dad's choices to provide for the family has been uh a unique one and probably not very uh Maybe Uncle Sam wouldn't be too happy about it, but um, <laughs> you know, you know, he did what he had to do to provide for the family. And um, yeah, I didn't grow up rich. I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up like poor, but definitely didn't grow up rich. You know, my dad. I think he had like five or six different baby mothers, man. And he was married to one of my brothers' mom. She, she, you know, R.I.P. to her. She just recently passed not too long ago. I'm sorry but, to hear that, man. I, well, a couple of years ago, actually, at this point, but um. Then he got married to my mom and now they're going through a divorce and now he's with another lady. It's, it's, it's a, my dad's just crazy. And he just had a new son who's now going to be two years old in August. So he's 60 years old. If that puts things in perspective, he's crazy with a one year, one and a half year old about to be two. So, um, yeah, I, we had a very crazy upbringing and, um, we used to beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> control to control the tv to get the extra food and snitching on each other so that this person would get the beating and then we laugh at that one because he got a beating and he cried it was like we we tormented each other man there was a lot of bad now i, I don't it's crazy because i don't remember a lot of good i really don't and um i just know we're family at the end of the day and uh, i remember a lot more of the bad than any of the good so is we never really had that like that bond of like i'm here to protect you because you're my brother you're my sister it was like if you got into a fight it was like my brothers would almost be like yeah you better figure that shit out bro because i'm not helping that type of thing it was it was kind of weird but i think now things are a lot different um i think we're all grown up and a little bit more mature so we, we kind of understand and we we kind of laugh at this the way we were growing up like looking back hindsight's 2020 like damn we were really like pricks to each other and um yeah so very very interesting upbringing for sure so i'm interested in how you shaped into the guy you are then because saying that you grew up with more negative than positive and now being such a positive guy and you seem like you're the complete opposite of, of what the things you're saying about your dad are like you're you know you got a good personality you got good loyalty you seem to take care of everybody you're always looking out for the guys in the gym you're articulate you're well spoken like you know you, you really represent yourself well and in a positive way 
And I think, I mean, I've seen it that a lot of people even now in their 40s and 50s are still making really bad life decisions because of, you know, things that happened when they were getting raised at like five, 10 years old. So, you know, I, I love yep. the fact that you're, you've shifted your mindset and it could have been really easy for you to just take that and go down that lane, but you didn't. How did you, how did you make that turn? It's, you know, I think I remember one day my brother was one of my brothers. He was uh, blood. He was in the bloods. I think he still is. Um, he ended up going just to give a quick wrap up story on him. He ended up going to jail doing four years upstate. And um, even right now he just ended up going back for something he did a couple years ago. They just closed the case and he had to go serve, finish serving the time on that. So he just went back in. So when I was in college, he was away for pretty much all my college years. And we came out um, completely different person, but I remember him, specifically one day in, in high school remember it was just a big brawl and I wanted I want to be blood man it was him my my brother Kelvin who trains at the gym now a lot and myself and then my younger brother Troy but the three the two of them I I, I don't want to say I looked up to them but whatever they did I was like down to do um so the older one he was blood and then the other one was thinking about doing it and we talked about it and I was like yeah I feel like we should join together. If we do this, we should do it like the same day, the whole initiation. And um, I just remember one really bad brawl seeing at the school, kid got hit with a, a bat. One kid took a bike, swung it and slammed it on the other kid's head. And I'm watching this and I'm just thinking to myself, this is when Uniondale was really bad at the time, Uniondale, Roosevelt, Hempstead and uh, Freeport. And I'm like, I'm looking at my body. I'm like, you know, I'm really small. These guys are really big. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, like, is this really what I want to do? And I was still on the fence about it. And I'm like, I'm going to be having to defend myself literally every day, you know, watching my back in the hallways, that type of thing. And then the, I think the straw that broke the camel's back, one of my brother's best friends, that I think he turned blood with him at the same time. His brother got shot in Uniondale. I think it was at a traffic light. Someone just pulled up to him, and while he was in the car sitting there hanging out, they just drove by, you know. And, yeah, I think that was the one that, that put things in perspective. And um, from there, I, and I knew him too. And I was like, you know what, man, maybe there's something to this wrestling life, and maybe I should focus on that, and that could be this could be my way out of the hood. And um, I really do think – just thinking back and looking, you know, reflecting on it, it's definitely an emotional thing. And, uh, you know, I always think like how my life could have been, you know, in and out of jail and, uh, you know, could have probably been shot, could have probably been killed. And my brother, he's been sliced, you know, it's, it's, uh, scary, man. Like seeing it that close to home, one of my brother's best friends just passed, I think like last sometime last month. And uh, he's kind of caught up in that stuff, but he's not in the gang per se, but, you know, he's probably not doing things that he should be doing. And, and I don't know, I just saw a bigger, I saw a different life. I was like, man, if I can use wrestling to get out of the hood, maybe I don't have to feel like the pressures of needing to, to join a gang and feeling the pressures of needing to, to be the, being the cool category with my brothers and stuff and uh, I'm just glad I was able to use wrestling to keep me from staying home keep me from hanging out at the school because you know I was hanging out with my brother and his friends and I'm just glad 
this gave me a different direction. So instead of hanging out of the school, I was going into the weight room and I was doing the wrestling thing. And uh, I, I just saw a different future, you know, and um, going to college, it really changed my perspective on life, seeing how different families were and realizing like, yo, we grew up really fucked up. And being able to see that really made me think like, you know what, man, I got an opportunity to do something with this. You know, I could go to college. And this is before I even thought about fighting. This was like, get my degree and I could choose what I want to do in my life. I was an accountant major before I switched to phys ed. And then, um, yeah, then I ended up becoming a fighter. But uh, yeah, I, I look at people who are older and it's just kind of fascinating because I always, even my brothers now to this day, I always talk to them like, you guys are at an age where you guys have kids and at some point you got to start thinking about them more than yourself in the now. And at some point you got to realize that you want them to have a better life than how we grew up. And I, I think that's always been my, my point of, uh, I don't know, I can't think of the word, but uh, that's always what I thought about just my future, just what I, what I wanted for myself. I'm like, yeah, I, there's only two, two ways this ends up, you know, in jail or dead. I mean, if you're in, you're in, man, you don't, there's no, you know, there's no in between unless you can somehow manage to get out, but usually getting out is not the easiest thing. And uh, yeah, I'm just glad I made some right choices. And yeah, you know, I stood, I, I feel that's when my family and I got very distant because of going to college and coming back home. I shit you not, no, no exaggeration. I was considered the white boy in my family. This is exactly, they said, yo, Yo, look at this 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 white boy here. I'm like, this is the this was the shit I was dealing with at home, coming home from college on breaks and stuff. I'm like, oh, why you talk like that now? You don't even talk with slang anymore. I'm like, yo, bro, it's it's different. You when you go away, you start seeing other stuff. You start realizing like this is how the world operates. Is it doesn't operate at Uniondale frequency 24 seven. It's a different world. Uniondale is just a small tiny place that's in it. And there's so much world to see when you're traveling on a wrestling team, going to different colleges, going to different states, going to all across the world, going to nationals and seeing all these different things and going to Vegas as a college athlete and, and being able to compete. It opens up your mind to like, yo, man, there's so much to do and explore and learn than to just be this ignorant kid hanging out in the hood and just thinking being the toughest kid on the block is, is the, you know, being known as that, that dude in the hood is, what gets you, it doesn't get you nowhere, man. It, it might get you some street credit in, in your hood, but past that, does it do anything for your credit score? Does it do anything for your financial statements, your bank accounts? Or do you have to do mattress money for the entire rest of your life? Can you buy a house? You know, this is so much that it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't hold no water, man. It's all for the temporary. And I'm just glad I was able to, to see that. And my mom always told me I had a good eye for seeing like when something was going to go bad. And, and um, I think that has always been a huge benefit to me. Cause a lot of times when my brother always tell me, he hates that I'm always right. My younger brother, Troy. That <laughs> and I go, every time he does something, I tell him not to do it. And it goes, it goes left. It always does. And he's always like, I just hate that you're always right. And it's like, well, would you want an older brother who's always wrong and telling you to do dumb shit? Like, I, I don't understand what you want. You can't have it both ways. I'm like, I'm telling you things that work. This is what I'm telling you to do. It's either you're going to listen or you're not. And um, I just think, fortunately for me, I've just been 
I guess, blessed to, to just be able to see through certain things and be able to think and use rational thinking. I think, I think it's just being rational about stuff, man. Some people, they just don't think. They just do. And I understand this being able, like pulling the trigger is a very good trait to have. Like even like real estate, like for me pulling the trigger when I did my first out-of-state investment and some people were like talking shit about it and no, oh, don't do this, it's dumb. And I think having some balls to encourage to want to do something that crazy and not even crazy, but take a risk so that you can get something out of it. I think there's something to be said about that, but not thinking about certain things like your future, I think, and just doing stuff blindly without setting stuff up. I think that's what gets kind of silly where you kind of have to weigh out the pros and cons of things. And I think that's really what it comes down to. I analyze a lot and I break things down and I put it on paper. I make it make sense. And when I say I'm going to do something, man, fucking do it, bro. I don't just talk to talk. You know, I think that's the problem with a lot of people. They talk and it's just like, they like hearing themselves. They think if they say they're going to, they're going to be working hard today. Like it's just going to happen through osmosis or some shit. I'm like, yeah, you got to actually like put the work in now. You get, you know, you said you're going to do it. Now you got to actually physically go out there and do it, make it happen. Yeah, man. I think that that's awesome. And uh, obviously, you know, you, made a great choice and you've done really well with yourself. And now I see that you're, you're setting an example for other people, which I think is really, I mean, that in itself is a huge thing. And you know, the, I see the people that you keep now as your company, like every day you're posting stuff with Rage and Allen or Rob, who's like the world's most positive guy. You got a Wyman, you got, um, you know, Bermudez and all those guys in the house. And obviously, you know, Ray Longo and Matt Sarah, it's like two great people, two, two great mentors and coaches, but what do you, do you think of those things now? Because you're, you're, you're the veteran now, you know, you're about to have a title shot, like you're about to take over UFC, you know, you're blowing up and you, you almost in a fighter house with these other guys. You got the younger guys that are coming up. I think like Nas is in the house and, and Dennis and these guys. So, I mean, how are things shifted now with you being almost the older brother for all these new guys that are coming up and, you know, I hear Rage and Al telling me that he's trying to get them on the phone, trying to get them into real estate, like talking about finance stuff and, you know, really trying to show them that there's a better way. And, and I love that that's what's becoming the cool thing. Like, that's almost like your new gang is a bunch of guys that work their asses off, train together. You guys go kayaking in the backyard and then you start talking shop on real estate. Like, that's a positive association of being around good people that I think and Al are having a huge influence on, which, you know, hopefully in a few years they're doing the same thing. And, you know, to me, I think that that changes the dynamic for a lot of people's lives. Yeah, 100%. I think um, Al and I being around... We've definitely filled into like that coaching big brother role and um, not really by choice. I guess it just kind of happened by, I guess with the, the success, you know, people just naturally kind of gravitate to you. And I think just being a good person, people will naturally gravitate to you as well. Um, it's been cool, man. You know, I've kind of, like I said, I've been coaching, you know, at the gym and just by default, me running those classes, people constantly ask me to come out and corner them and, been doing a lot of corner work while I was on the sideline, healing up my, my wrist and everything. And um, it's been cool to see these guys grow, man. And especially for this year, we were on such a roll. I think we were like 15 and 0 from beginning of the year coming into the quarantine. And it was, it was kind of shitty because we wanted to keep it going and see how far we can make this go. And um, the guys were on fire, man. Everybody, everybody was on fire, motivated and, I think uh, us talking about the real estate stuff has definitely lit a fire on their asses and making them realize like, hey, fighting's temporary, man. You guys have to have a backup plan. And with your money, you need to make sure you're doing the right things. Don't let Uncle Sam come dig into your pockets because you made a wrong turn and, and spent way more than you should have. 
Um, I had a little hiccup with that, but I figured out a way out of that, that solution. And I, I don't necessarily blame myself, but I kind of have to take some fault for it because maybe I should have asked more questions and been a little bit more annoying about it, which I, you know, you're paying top dollar for, for, for services. You would think that you would get advised on certain things, but it is what it is. At the end of the day, it's me who's in, who gets the, uh, the short end of the stick, but that's life, you know? So just being able to understand, like, no one's going to ever feel sorry for you, man. No one's going to ever do things as well as you're going to do for yourself. And um, no one's going to care about number one as much as you're going to care about number one. So you got to make sure you're doing the right things and setting those, laying those bricks for your future, man. And I think you just lay one day by day. And eventually you're going to have yourself the great wall of China in your backyard, you know, something crazy. And um, you can look back at it and be like, damn, I did this. You know, I, you might have had help along the way, but at the end of the day, it takes you wanting to get up to put that work in to get there and build that thing. So, um, that's the way I, I like to live my life. And uh, we're kind of trying to instill those beliefs in the other guys. And it's just good that we can kind of let these guys know what works. And Al and I are very different in terms of our personalities. We're both kind of crazy, but we're, I, we're, we're different. Like I'm a little bit more outgoing. I'm a little bit more social with like the social media stuff and posting stuff. You know, they always tell me like, Yo, I'm, I'm so good with that. And uh, they, you know, they don't really like doing it, but um, I think we're kind of like a yin and yang. And uh, I think just the dynamic between the two of us has been really good for everybody else. So it's, it's good, man. I think it's a good time for everybody. Everyone's happy. Everyone's cruising. They're on their way up. And uh, yeah, the, a fighter house, man, it's, it's been amazing, especially me living with Al for those three years and then going out and getting my own house. Now I got Steve Lee living here. I got one of my old uh, wrestling partners, a uh, kid that I coach now living here. And um I was teaching him about real estate. Now he's getting his first house. Um, he should be closing, I think, sometime next month. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's really it, man. Just working, sharing the, spreading the good knowledge. And, you know, you, you taught me a lot, man. So just even based off of that, man, I, I just feel it's my job to, to pay it forward, you know. That's awesome, man. And, you know, uh, I, like you said, you and Al have contracting, contrasting personalities. But I think what makes – your group, which I see just across the board coming down from Matt and Ray and all you guys is you definitely support each other and bring out the best in each other. And I think that's a huge thing at the end of the day. And I think you guys all know that. Like one of my favorite pictures is uh, I think it was when you won and there's just a picture of Ray and Matt and Al like jumping out. Yeah. And like, I'm like, those are three guys that are generally happy for his success, you know? And like, that's, a, that's a really cool thing. And I remember when you were helping me get ready for the Golden Gloves, which like right in the middle of you got the call for UFC, which I thought was awesome. And you brought your buddy down and you were giving me a lot of tips. And I remember you yelling in the middle of one of the sparring sessions. You were like, the better you get, the better I get. And I was like, man, that's such a great mentality that you don't see anywhere. Sometimes people are like, well, I'm going to keep this secret because I, you know what I mean? And you just, you don't have that. Like it really, yeah. I think that kind of thing says a lot about you as a person across the board. And that's why you guys are all, that energy is contagious and helping each other in. Like you said, one of the things that I've always very much respected about you and Al is the same way you said everybody hits up John Jones or hits up you and is like, I'm going to train on Monday, and they never show up. That happens on the real estate side all the time, all the time. Yeah. People, oh, I want to learn. I never get called. They never show up. And uh, Al was like, hey, I'm going to come out to your training. And then you hit me up, and we're like, I want to come too. And it was on like a day's notice or something like that, and you hopped in a plane, came out to California. <laughs> And you just started doing it, man. So, like, I love that because, like you said, you don't just talk about it. If you say you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And you did. And I'm always, 
willing to to try and help people who are willing to help themselves. And, and obviously I have more time now that I'm finally off the freaking road, but I love that you guys kind of got into that and started doing it in the same way you got your black belt and you became a Jedi in, in jujitsu is the same thing doing in real estate like you're you're getting better and better i see your progress you've you've had some hiccups you've learned from them just like you have in the cage and grown and gotten better from them and made better opportunities from them so i did want to hear about what what interested you how did you start to get interested in real estate and in investing to even want to go and take that leap well it's it's what's funny is like talking about my dad and how crazy he was and the way he made his money was very unique and um there's not many things you could do with it, you know, um, in terms of like large purchases and stuff. You know, he never had a credit. He didn't have a, his green card at the time. This was back in my freshman year in college. I'm, I'm going back to, and uh, that would be 2007, 2008. And he was asking all of us, all the kids in the house, there was about 10 of us living in the house at the time. And he goes, uh, I want you guys to all come up with a business plan and business ideas, at least three different. I think he said one, I think he said two or three different ideas. And uh, we're going to see which one of the best ones. And I'm going to go with it and try to open up the business and let's start that kind of like a family business type of thing. I was like, all right, this is cool. We're finally trying to do like a family kind of thing. Let's see how this goes. And sure enough, my idea was real estate. Yo pops, um, these landlords are renting these houses for an insane amount of money in these middle of nowhere towns. And they're making the money. Like they're getting the money. That's not even the issue. They're getting the money, you know? And, um, he told me it was a stupid idea. It was risky. Um, he said, don't make no sense. I can't see the property. And I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, dude, I'm there. I'm in college. I can go be the landlord for you. I can do the drive for you. Cause he was worried about driving, getting pulled over and getting caught up and, uh, possibly going to jail and whatever. So for me, it was like, Dude, I can do this all day long. This is not hard. I see these guys. I know what they're doing. I'm essentially just collecting rent and just telling you what's going on with the property. And if something goes wrong, I let you know. I can try to find someone to fix it or you can find someone to fix it. And I'm the middleman just making sure there's a, just a buffer between you guys and the students and their parents. And I'm there. You got, you got boots on the ground, you know? And sure enough, a couple years go by. Now they're in divorce. They're losing the house. And um, it's an insane house. My dad built up the house and it's like a seven bedroom house that we have in Uniondale, full basement, uh, one, two, three, four bathrooms. And I'm just like, yo, bro, this, is a, this house is a college steal for anyone who gets their hands on it. And the fact that you guys are not figuring this out, just figure it out, go 50-50 on the house, let's fix it up and let's just rent it. And everyone goes their separate ways. And guess what? You both make passive income and you guys are both set for life it doesn't get any better than that but going back to that that's pretty much how i got interested in real estate looking up some stuff thinking that it was going to happen and then from there i kind of just stopped but i was always interested in doing it because i felt like that was the way to i didn't know what it was the way to but it just seemed like a great idea i'm like if these guys i did the math on it i was like dude this is, just makes too much sense i'm like i'm not even good with math and i'm like this <laughs> I'm not great with math at all. Ask anyone in my family, even my brother still breaks my balls about it because my dad would bring home like a lot of money, like bags of money for us to count. And um, I always messed up the count. They always had to count over the, the pot of money that I was counting. And I always would either get slapped in the head or, or whatever, ridiculed and kind of like talked down to that I was you know, dumb, stupid, can't count for shit and blah, blah, blah. And 
whatever. You know, a lot of, we had a lot of verbal abuse. I guess that's why a lot of the verbal abuse on social media does not bother me. I'm like, you guys have no <laughs> idea. Like I can take it and I can dish it. So bring that shit motherfuckers. But um, <laughs> yeah, like even now, like they, like he makes fun of me. He goes, yo, how'd you get so good at math? Like he always just say that because now I'm telling him about real estate. I'm breaking down numbers to him. And he's like, how'd you get so good at math? And he would say it like occasionally like, yo, I don't get it. How'd you get so good at math? Like that's like our running joke right now. It's kind of like an insider joke, but um, yeah, I'm like, I wasn't good at math, but the numbers just doing the math on it. I'm like $800 per bedroom, blah, 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 $1,000, the $3,000 to $3,500 a month for a semester. You break that down. Yeah. You got to fix, put aside a certain budget for the maintenance and repairs. Okay. Don't touch the money for a couple of years. Just put it back into the house. And eventually you're going to be just hanging out. And I didn't understand cash flow. I didn't understand any of that. I just knew the mortgage could be paid for. There would be residual income um, on a monthly basis. You fix the repairs and dude, it just made too much sense to not do it. And uh, eventually Al told me about your, your, your bus tour. And then I hit you up about it and rest is history. Now I'm actually full on real estate. Dude, I love that. I love that. It's just like you said, man, breaking the way you break down the details of the fights is the same way you break down the details of the property. And if it makes sense and it checks out, yeah. it, it literally is all just math. And like nowadays, man, you don't even have to be great at math. You use your freaking calculator on your cell phone. You punch <laughs> things on your mortgage calculators, man. It, it's a great thing, but those details make all the difference, man. So I know you did some deals in um, Arizona. I think you did some lending. You've done some cash flow stuff. Like you're really building up your, your repertoire and your resume is stuff you're taking down, right? Yeah, for sure. The Arizona one didn't go so great. I, I lost a little bit of money on that. It's weird though, because on paper it shows that I made money, but they don't factor in the hard money lender costs. So I actually had to pay a little bit of money on the, uh, the capital gains from that. I'm like, yo, this is complete bullshit because I didn't make a dollar. But um, you, you need a better CPA. Get yeah, you a paper I, I trail understand. to show those losses. Yeah, so that, that CPA is gone anyway. But um, <laughs> so we sold that house. I bought my house here in uh, Long Island, Massapequa. And then, nice area. Good job, man. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Definitely happy about that. I got a corner lot. My neighbors are far on this side. The neighbors are far on that side. I got two side yards. I got the backyard. So I'm chilling. No one's bothering me. I'm across from a highway. It's very, very cool for me to be in a situation like this. And then sure enough, I went and bought, um, I fixed this one up. I want to say I put like 60, in total, like 70 grand into this house to fix it up. The brand new roof, um, the flooring uh the the bathrooms it's three bathrooms four bedroom house sanding paint everything the whole nine and all of the basement the basement alone was like i think 13 or 14 grand to do but it looks it's a brand it's pretty much an apartment you know so it's it's really nice and then uh i eventually bought my mom's house after another fight for mother's day and we fixed that one up as well and i bought it on an auction for 285 282 and a half i paid a 14 grand buyer's premium I guess whatever that's for, I guess it's just to zone the, the website zone.com. So they just, yeah, my- yeah the option, the auction fee goes to them. That's, that's their little piece of the pie for, for listing it. Yeah. So whatever, they got a, a cool 14 grand from that. Okay. Whatever. Um, so I just factored that into the total and then I fixed it up and the house was actually worth after we did the appraisal. Cause I, this is when I ran to the tax problem. I didn't have enough money to pay my taxes. So I'm thinking that I was going to get the depreciation right away. And it was like, no, you got to do this over the, what is it? The 27 and a half years. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, but he said, there's another thing we could do a five year accelerated on depreciation method. He said, we could do that as well. 
because I made too much money. So since I made over the 150K cap, he said that gets the benefits get it gets like put into a piggy bank or whatever. That's like the best way to explain it. And then um, the years, the following years that come that I don't make that money. Now I could get to take some of those benefits to kind of help bring down those costs on the taxes that I got to pay for the, the later coming years. So, okay. So now I'm in the trouble. I owe uncle Sam, uh, 53, 19, about 75 grand in taxes. And, um, I paid 53 in one shot that hurt. And then now I'm sitting in with about 30 K in residuals after December 31st. And I'm like, Doing the math on everything, I'm like, dude, this is crazy. How am I supposed to survive on this with all my expenses? And good thing I had the sponsors that were still paying me, and I did a couple one-off gigs before the quarantine hit hard, and uh, I was able to make some money with that, and that worked out, and it kept, helped keep me afloat. I liquidated my stocks. I had about 20 grand in there, so that helped bring that 30 to about 50, and then the, the money I was getting from the sponsors helped me out, and um, I still owe about 19 grand left in taxes. Um, so whatever, uh, I ended up doing a cash out refi on my mom's house. So I was at a 4.625. We just did the refi and I wasn't sure it was going to go through cause I haven't fought in a year. They were kind of worried about that. And it's like, well, we don't know if you're going to fight because there's no events. And sure enough, we managed to get around that. I did have a fight. And, um, so we managed to make it work. And we got it down from a 4.625 down to a 3.725. And it's an investment house, you know? Um, so that worked out. I got about $78,000 off out of the property. The house appreciated from where I bought it, the 282 and a half and um, 282.500. And it appreciated to 430 in Roosevelt, Roosevelt, New York, which is insane to me. Now, mind you, we didn't do the kitchen over. We did only one bathroom over that was upstairs. We didn't do the downstairs bathroom. We didn't do the basement bathroom. So we didn't even touch the basement. That was like regular. We added a brand new boiler, a new hot water tank, new roofing, new siding, um, painted all the walls. We did all of upstairs over. We did an updated electrical and all new windows and it brought the value up tremendously. And I was super pumped. That I was able to recoup all my money. And um, then I put down into the property for the, the rehabs and stuff. So I got pretty much all my money out and I, now I can pay my remaining $19,000 for taxes, which I have set aside. And then I got to pay my SEPTA IRA and then the rest of it is just cash to just kind of hold me over to do whatever. So now I might take that and just invest back into the market um, while it's still kind of down. And um, I'm looking to buy a house next in, in Vegas. So, so far so good, man. Did we been killing it? Got that house down. I got this house that I'm living in now from a 4.25 down to three and a quarter. So, you know, that was a refi. I didn't take any equity out for this one, but I have about a hundred K of equity in this house just hanging out. And it's just good to know the power of real estate. If I want to borrow against it with the HELOC, or if I want to actually do a cash out refi, maybe I wait a couple of years. Um, the reason that I did the cash out refi with my mom was for the tax situation because that's tax free money. I already paid taxes on that money. So a lot of people didn't know that. I didn't know that. I learned that through the accountant and uh, the new accountant that I got. And uh, he helped me out a ton, tremendously game plan to try to figure out this, this little trouble that we were in. And I talked to James Krause about this down in Vegas. And he's like, yeah, I did a cash out refi and I got X amount of money out and it only brought my payment up like a hundred bucks. He said, I was like, dude, that's a fucking steal. So then I did it. I, I got the quotes and everything and it brought my payments up about $300. And I was like, dude, this, this is more than perfect, more than enough to keep me satisfied, happy and keep me out of government trouble, you know? So that's always a good thing. Mm -hmm. So now I start with a fresh slate going into 2020. 
um, well, halfway through 2020 at this point, and uh, the rest is just gravy, man. You know, so I'm I'm just excited. I'm looking to buy my next house in Vegas. I'm going to turn this into a complete rental, and this would be a, an investment property at 3.25. You can't you can't beat that, you know. And um, you got a 30 year on that? 30 year on this one. I refinanced awesome. after a year, and I, I didn't touch the equity. In my mom's house, I refinanced after a year, and I did the cash out on that, and um, kind of like a burr. Uh, you know, the, the bird strategy is very similar to that. You know, I kind of did it accidentally, but it ended up working mm -hmm. out. And um, you know how New York is, man. It's just so expensive out here. Like even this house, it went from twenty nine thirty four to twenty five sixty in terms of my payment. Um, after doing the refi, four two five down to a three two five. And um, now when I buy this house in, in, in Vegas, I could get the tax free for the state, state income tax. You know, that, that would be wave living out in, in Vegas and uh, being able to go back and forth and traveling and taking full advantage of the, the UFC PI Center. So I, I got the wheels in motion and now I just need to go out there June 6th, whoop some ass and uh, the rest is gravy. I love that, man. You sound like a like the stuff, the way that that rattles off versus the way it did like a year and a half ago, dude. Like you've definitely soaked that up. Like you're, you're spitting it out like it's natural. So I think that's awesome, man. All the things you're talking about. And for people who don't realize, like, that's such a crazy thing. It's so backwards to think about that you could actually pull tax-free money out of the property. So now you're actually into the property for more. But if you lower your interest rate, you're pulling money out tax-free. You're in debt more to the property, but your payments are actually less per month. It sounds nuts. It doesn't sound like that should be a thing, but it's, it's, it's doable, you know, and you're making yeah. it work in a tough market. You know, New York, Long Island, it's a hard market to make that work, and you guys are doing it. So I think that's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I will. Proud of you. No, thank you. I will say this one, the, the payments went up for that one for my mom. Um, but obviously it's New York. We're paying property taxes upwards. If you could find anything lower than $7,000, you have a gem on your hands, you know? Um, yeah. My mom's house is just about $10,000 in a year. And my house is about $11,000 a year. So it's in comparison to other states, you're paying a significantly less money. The Arizona house, my property taxes were two hundred. And seventeen dollars, and I want to cry, and I want to <laughs> cry. So I'm just like, what am I still doing in New York? There is nothing here for me, but expensive shit and friends and family. But they could come visit me somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude. Know? Every winter it would get harder and harder. I'm like, man, I just bought a house in North Carolina. It was built like two years ago. It's on a whole lot. It's in a good school district. It's warm there all year long. Like, ah, oh, man, it like changes. How do you go back? How do you go yeah. back? It changes the way you look at it all. But so let's talk about what's next. Uh, I know you were, uh, you were doing some stuff. You, were, you had a couple of things potentially in the entertainment industry. I don't know if any of that's popping out yet, but I know you're looking to get your mug on TV a little bit more, maybe make some debut in some movies and stuff too, right? Yeah, I did a couple of TV shows. Um, I'm actually in the Four Life series, um, season one with 50 Cent, um, based on a true story with, uh, I think his name's Isaac Wright. Uh, he was wrongfully convicted. Did about nine years in jail, got himself uh, a lawyer degree and passed the bar, represented um, convicts while in jail. He was like the, the jail rep and then represented himself and got himself off the hook after serving nine years, of course. But, you know, it's a, it's a crazy inspirational story and a uh, guy who never gave up. And it was, it was cool to be a part of a, a set like that, working with Jay Hyron, Chris Weidman, uh, Gian oh, cool. Vellante, 50 Cent, um, uh, a lot of those other guys. And um, even even Johnny C, who who got us in with the uh, the stunt acting stuff, 
You know, so we did some of the fight roles and stuff like that with the big fight scene that happens in season one, things like episode four or five. And then I was able to appear in another episode, which was pretty cool. So I thought that was pretty dope. And I did a couple other stuff. I did uh, Blue Bloods. I even know, I never knew what the movie was about. So the TV show was about. Cop, cop show, right? Something like that. But yeah. I heard it was like 10 seasons in. So I did Blue Bloods, um, just background acting, just walking by, that type of thing. I did a couple of the TV shows, just background acting. And um, so hopefully something gets picked up. I did, a, I did a pilot. I did two pilots now at this point, just hoping something gets picked up at some point. If not, you know, just keep plugging away. What's up, Ed? And um, just see what happens. And just looking to diversify, man. You know, again, like I said, you're in this quarantines. Like, why not learn how to do this other stuff? And to get into that thing was, I want to say it was free to sign up. And all you do, yeah, it was free to sign up, centralcasting.com. And if you fit the look, you apply, and if they call you, you go, you know? And I know people who are doing that three, four, five days a week, and that's their full-time jobs, you know, to eventually get their foot into the door to do some bigger acting role stuff. So, uh, oh, and I did uh, something for When Sharks Attack. So I'm, <laughs> like one of the, I'm like one of the guys who steal something, like they're stealing treasure, and it was based on a true story of a, of a kid in like, I think it was South Africa or South America, and they end up getting attacked. And uh, they get, they drown and yeah, they're dead. <laughs> but that's me. I'm that guy. I get attacked and everyone's just looking at me being attacked by the shark. It's pretty, pretty hilarious. We shot it in Florida. And um, I'm actually looking forward to that to come out because uh, I want to see what that looks like. I really do. Nice, man. Nice. That's awesome, man. You're making moves all over. You're going to be a star, man. 2021, Aljo's going to be everywhere. So <laughs> talk uh, June 6th night. So you just had a fight. Uh, you were trained at the Dog Pound in Iaquin's Garage. Um, I know there was some weird stuff going on with Henry Cejudo retiring or not retiring, and we were hoping you were going to get a title shot. So that looks like it's on the horizon. But for June 6th, newly signed fight, talk a little bit about what's coming up because this should be coming out June 4th, so right before your fight in a couple weeks from now. Yeah, so I'm fighting June 6th against Corey Sanhagen. He's ranked fourth in the, in the Bantamweight division right now, fourth in the world. I'm ranked second. Uh, it's a big fight. Petey Yon's ranked third. Dana White came out saying that Petey Yan was definitely going to get the next crack at the title if Sayuto was really retiring. He said Petey Yan versus somebody. And uh, I was thinking that was going to be me. But now um, I don't know what was going to happen because them trying to get Petey Yan into the country. So there's been a little bit of a back and forth. Uh, I guess Dana might have spoke too soon because, one, Petey Yan would have to be able to get into the country or they might have to wait for Fight Island or Henry might come back. So there's a lot of question marks still. And... Um, it seems like Marlon Moraes is still fighting Petey Yan. Marlon Moraes is uh, still ranked number one. I'm right behind him, Jan, then uh, Sanhagen. So it's kind of like a mini tournament. I guess the winners are probably going to fight each other for the vacant belt and go from there. If Sayudo doesn't decide to come back. But if he does, because I'm hearing that he's talking about coming back from Ali, um, was tweeting something saying that he's going to look to come back before the end of the summer. Huh. So if he comes back... Maybe he fights Jose Aldo or some bullshit, you know, some stupid <laughs> fight. Um, that makes no sense. Aldo's a legend, but the guy hasn't won a fight. He needs to win a fight before in, the, in this division first before he should be granted a title shot. But um, it is what it is. I'm just excited that I finally get to f compete again, man. Come alive. And I don't care. Honestly, people might say this is crazy to say this, but I really don't care about the win or the loss. I, I care about the performance. I, I, I truly do believe if I had go out there and have a great performance – I, I win the fight hands down. That's just that's just it. I think if I go out there, I work the game plan, I execute, 
it's going to be a good night and uh, the funk story is still going to continue. I agree, man. And I think that's another thing that's made me a big fan of yours over the years is I, you know, I watch how people act when they win, but I also watch how people act when they lose, you know, and with your real estate stuff, you took it as a learning experience and you came back stronger. The way you handled that loss to Mariah's, you, you handled it with class. You had fun with it. You know, you didn't let anybody take that from you and you came back and look what you're doing now, man. You're on the verge of a title shot. You know, probably going to get one very soon coming back stronger and better than ever. So I think it's a huge feather in your cap and a, a huge, um, show of your character of, of the way you handle wins and losses. Cause I feel like that's what, that's what real success is, man. Nobody has that straight path. It's all getting knocked down, getting back up. You get up two stairs, you get knocked down one, but you just keep climbing, you know, and you eventually get where you are and you know, look what that's going to turn into you. You're going to be like a, a TV star or champion or real estate guy. Like you got all this great stuff going for you, man. It, it's awesome to see. I mean, you deserve all of it because you're working for it. And that positive attitude's taking you a long way, man. So I'm very happy that you turned that corner. You didn't go down that bad path. You could have, and I, I watch what you're doing, man, and I think that you're shaping other people to do the same, and, you know, you're, you're becoming a role model, and I think everybody's very proud of you, and I'm, I'm sure whether or not your family busts your balls or not that they all are too. Yeah, no, I think they're a lot more appreciative of everything now compared to when we were growing up. Uh, I think back then we were just too young and naive to really see the – well, they were too young and naive to see the bigger picture, and um, I'm just glad, you know, I don't let people's thoughts affect me, their words, your opinions – are your opinions, you know, I'm not gonna live my life based on your opinions, you know, so I, I live life the way I want to, what makes me happy, what makes me feel good. And that's it, man. I, no regrets. I, I would uh, encourage other people to do the same thing. Awesome, man. So before I let you go, I'm trying to come up with like a here. I'm, I'm toying around calling it the victory lap because it's like the end, you know, so I have uh, two, two final questions for you. One, what is the worst job you have ever had before you became a professional fighter worst job i ever had i i would think yeah there were a couple bad ones but they all had their what like they all had different kinds of bads like the one i would say was bad because i was working in a wood shop and sniffing paint dust so i sold dust all day and sniffing paint spray paint all day that's why so, you were bad at math <laughs> <laughs> yeah so We'd have to cut the boards or they were cutting the boards. And I didn't, I don't think they ever gave us like some people had masks. I didn't get masks um, for the nose, the nose cover. I didn't remember ever getting one. So I would have to do my shirt over my face and my mouth and um, try not to inhale the, the sawdust. And then I would have to come by and spray and tag the, the lumber with like this green um, spray gun. And, uh, when I get home, I remember just always blowing my nose and it was just always green, like just paint green, like literally like your backdrop right now. It's <laughs> hilarious. And I'm like, I don't believe, I don't think this is good for any human to be ingesting and inhaling this type of stuff. And uh, I just could not wait to get out. It paid decent money and it was what I was doing when I was upstate New York. And I would have to wake up 5.30 in the morning and take about a, a 40 minute drive down to this place, upstate New York, to get to the sawmill and do my job, crunch eight hours and then go back home and try to train. So it was a very humbling experience and made me realize what I did not want to do. And uh, yeah, you know, just that grind of trying to get to where you're at, to where I'm at today. And like the other guys who were back then, back in that time. So it's, uh, I've had a very interesting journey. Very interesting. Nice, man. Builds character. Love it. And the last thing is, so knowing what you know now in life, uh, if 
the younger you just appear, a little 16, 17-year-old Aljo, and ask you for advice on success or chasing their dream, what advice would you give a younger you right now? What advice? Um, I, was tell, I would tell myself, you know, trust your gut, trust your opinion. You, you make good decisions and um, never let the words of others influence you or direct which way you go in your life. You know, at the end of the day, do what makes you happy and uh, trust your gut, man. That, 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 that would honestly just be it. I think um, younger me was just a very slightly insecure, very angry at the world and just looking for approval, you know? So, yeah. Awesome. I think that that's very fair, man. And you've come a long way, man. I think your story is absolutely awesome and inspiring. And I think it's going to get out further and further, the bigger you grow. Um, how do people, how do people find you for anybody who's not following yet on social media? You have great social media, man. It's uh, you give great tips on workout stuff. You, you, you're funny, a very polarizing character. So uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I know you got your weekly scraps podcast. You got a, a whole bunch of different places. So tell people how to find you. I'm on all platforms, social platforms, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, all Funkmaster MMA. And um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Hit me up. And uh, hopefully if I have some time, I'll get back to you. Or should I say when I have some time, I'll get back to you. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it, man. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you fight on June 6th and doing your thing. Win or lose, man. Always in your corner, always supporting you. And uh, when the fight's over, man, let's talk some more real estate and get some stuff going. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. All right, my dude, take care. Tell everybody I said hello and let me know if I can do anything for you. All right. All right, the Funk Master, Al Jermaine Stern, ladies and gentlemen. Take it easy, man. Peace. I get a lot of questions from people on uh, wanting to pick my brain, wanting to ask me about what I do, how do I do it, all kinds of things across the spectrum. One of the things I try and answer back with is there's a few different ways that we can work together. People can either um, participate by being a buyer, being a seller, or being a partner, and that's really the best way to learn. So if people have questions that have reached out to me, the best thing to do is jump on www.nicknicknick.com, and you can schedule a consultation if you're looking to sell properties, buy part properties, partner on some deals, or just get a general consultation to see where we can even fit in and where we can do business together on any level. There's options for that to set some stuff up. So please visit www.nicknicknick.com to buy, to sell, or to partner on real estate deals or opportunities. That is the place to go. That is the best way to start making money and learning the process. If you guys are getting anything from the podcast and some of the great knowledge and tips that the guests are sharing, please take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or any of your platforms with some stars and some comments, helping spread the promotion and spread some visibility for the podcast, for the guests, and for the knowledge so we can continue to do this. It'll only take a minute. I appreciate it if you guys could take the time. It would go a very, very long way. Again, leave a review on iTunes, start to share, start to spread the word. I really would appreciate it if you're getting anything out of this. Thank you.